let all God's people say amen. We talk a lot about light around here. Alec preached a sermon on light in January. We take seriously the call from Ephesians to live as children of light, and we claim our church's call is to be a beacon of light in downtown Richmond and beyond. Light is a good word. It is worth focusing on. The light is where we bear fruit. The light is where we follow Christ. But I think we also should talk about darkness. Now, nighttime darkness is something that I actually love. I love to sit under a starlit sky or listen to the evening noises on our front porch. I enjoy soaking up that gentle, calming darkness away from glowing screens and fluorescent lights and social media notifications. But that is not the sort of darkness that the writer of Ephesians describes for us. The Greek word for darkness that the writer of Ephesians uses is also used for ignorance, for a lack of knowledge, for separation from God, even for death. This is the sort of darkness that swallows, that buries, that takes over your life. This is the sort of darkness that we try to avoid with all our might. This is the darkness that we shove to the margins of our life and our society. Today's gospel reading shows us how Jesus approaches such blinding darkness. This gospel reading will introduce us to a man who has been born blind. The scriptures indeed are peopled with such individuals, people who are trapped in the very real darkness of physical, mental, emotional disability. Such a darkness was a severe threat in those days. If you were born blind, you had little hope of emerging from such physical darkness. And if you were born poor and blind, well then God help you. And I mean that reverently. Only God could help you. There were no other programs, no other provisions. If you did not have family and you did not have wealth, only God could help you. Darkness was a real threat then, And although we might work to banish it to the corners of our lives now, it is something that we probably all can imagine quite easily. A deep darkness, a physical darkness that holds us, an emotional darkness that swallows us, a social collective darkness that blinds us. So we will hear the words from John, and we will note how many different ways people are stumbling around in the dark. The writer of John has some fun with the idea of blindness, and the story is a long one. So I will read the first 12 verses and the last three, and then summarize the middle. So let us listen for this word, and let us pay attention to how Jesus approaches the darkness that swirls around him. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. From John chapter 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. 
As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then the man went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were saying, it is he. And others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash Then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. And so some people bring this formerly blind man to the Pharisees. They don't believe he is blind and they grill him for what happened. He cannot answer. The crowd of onlookers don't believe he is blind, so they call for his parents. The parents cannot answer what has happened. All keep saying, we do not know. They call back the blind man, and John is making this point. Nobody wants to believe what has happened right before their eyes. Nobody wants to see what is happening right in their midst. A Messiah has come and is doing marvelous, mind-boggling things. Everyone keeps looking for an alternative fact. Everyone wants to get an answer that keeps them from upsetting their view of the world Everyone wants to see their own truth, and it blinds them to the good news that is happening right in front of them. Meanwhile, the formerly blind man keeps answering, I don't know anything except I was blind, and now I see, and Jesus did this to me. This is all I know. Other than that, I'm in the dark. And Jesus, in the end, comes to the blind man and says, you are the one who has seen. You have seen the Messiah. And he says, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there is darkness in this story, a darkness of vision and perception, as well as dark forces of anger and prejudice beginning to swirl around Jesus himself. After all, since it is Lent, we should note that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, towards the cross of Good Friday. Jesus is making more and more people angry He is slowly walking towards a moment when he'll be dragged before a crowd and tried as a criminal and executed. But that is not yet. Here and now we can listen to this story and we can hear three promises of good news about darkness, three gospel truths that are being revealed to us. First, darkness is real and God knows it. This might not seem like a comfort at first, but if you've ever found yourself caught in the ebb and flow of real darkness, trapped in a place where you struggled to cling to light and hope, where you look around and wonder what the world is coming to, 
perhaps you can find some grace in hearing that you are not alone. The scriptures reveal that for thousands of years, people have struggled. Darkness is real. God knows the darkness is real. God knows the darkness is real. Despite some preachers' interpretations, the scriptures are not all about prosperity and happiness and light and doing good works. The scriptures peer into human lives and they acknowledge there is real struggle and challenge, real grief and despair. Darkness is real. And so here's the first promise about darkness in the scripture. God knows the darkness is real and God does not pass by. After all, perhaps the most moving line in this gospel passage we just heard is the first one. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus sees this man. Jesus does not walk by. Jesus stops and gazes at this man. He spends time with him. He does not hurry on to his next destination. He does not avoid the man. Jesus sees the blind man, and he stops. The disciples also see the blind man, but they want to figure out who is to blame for the man's predicament. We do this too, we must confess. We try to figure out who is to blame for a person being poor or blind or desperate. Where can we place the blame, we wonder? Where can we pass the responsibility? And so the disciples ask bluntly, who is to blame this man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. In the scriptures, when people ask Jesus to answer this or that, to choose behind door A or B, Jesus almost always says, nope, neither option. This is not about door A or B. This is not about your this or that. This is about God. This is about God doing new things This is about God bringing light where there previously was only darkness. This is about God seeing someone's blindness and doing something about it. God knows darkness is real. Jesus sees the blind man. When we are stumbling around in the dark, Jesus sees us. This is the first promise of good news we receive today. The second promise of good news about the darkness is this. Jesus engages with it. Jesus doesn't avoid it. He doesn't shove it to the side. He doesn't let it hide in a corner. He doesn't see the blind man stop, pray with him, pity him, and then move on. Jesus does not let the darkness alone. He gets into the literal dirt. He spits on the ground and makes mud and spreads it over the man's eyes. We are not good at dealing with darkness in our society today. We want to cordon it off, push it to the side, and whistle as we walk past it. We want to say, well, that is something that other people deal with, not me, not people who look like me. We might see the blind man, and while we might not blame him, we certainly would prefer it if he stayed on the side of the road, if he didn't interrupt us with his inconvenient disability on our journey. We want people to get over their grief quickly and get back to work. 
We expect a person to buck up and put on a brave face when he or she is dealing with chronic pain or disability or illness. This is often our reaction because we are uncomfortable with darkness. Like the Pharisees and crowds in this story from John, we want to pick and choose our evidence, picking and choosing what we believe based on what we want to believe. In our world, we want the blind man to stay in his spot on the side of the road so that we can be close enough to him to feel badly for him, to pity him, but not so much that he will interrupt us or our way of looking at the world. But the good news is our way is not Christ's way, and this is not the promise of the scripture that we will have the final word. The promise is that Jesus will engage the darkness. Jesus will challenge the darkness. He will challenge the darkness by using saliva and mud in his own two hands. He will not shove it to the side. He will reach out and touch it and heal it. Jesus won't let the crowds and authorities remain in their metaphorical darkness either. He keeps pushing them, confronting them. He keeps disturbing the peace, trying to make them see that God's light is breaking in right now, all around them. And so we come to the third promise of this story, the third promise about darkness in the scriptures. It might be good news, or it might make us a little more uncomfortable. It is this. We, we are being asked to join in and confront the darkness. We, we who are sitting right here, we who have received Christ's healing and we who still so desperately need it, we can join in this work of challenging and engaging and healing the darkness. For indeed, after Jesus has confronted the man's blindness, after he has spread the mud over his eyes, he gives instructions to the man. He gives him something to do. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This is a theme in many of the gospel stories. After Jesus does his wonderful, awe-inspiring signs, he almost always gives instructions to the healed person. He says, go and do something. Go and wash Go and do likewise. Go and baptize. Go and sin no more. The person who meets Jesus on the side of the road isn't healed, and poof, that is it. Jesus moves on. This person is given a job to do. This person is given a call to follow. When talking about darkness in the world, in our own lives, this third promise of Scripture is that we are also called to challenge the darkness Jesus wants us to join him. The blind man is told to go wash, and we are called to help bring the light. This is what we claimed for Adkins today in her baptism. This is what the officers will embody in a few moments when we ordain and install them. We remember in thought and word and deed that we are not alone. We all are called by the Christ who loves us, called to get to work challenging the darkness. As children of light, we are part of a family of faith, and this family stretches beyond the generations across the centuries and millennia. Darkness is real. The scriptures acknowledge it. God knows it. 
There are people hurting and poor and disabled and despairing all around us. There is bigotry and apathy and forces working to try to silence people like the blind man in John. There are challenges without answers, and there are places where we cannot quickly and easily and cleanly assign blame, no matter how hard we try. But Christ does not abandon us in the darkness or leave our blindness alone. Christ acknowledges it, faces it, confronts it, challenges it, and then, by God's grace and the Spirit's power, Christ asks us to join in to get to work, to get to work exposing the dark and bringing the light. A story, a few years ago, the journalist Scott Simon used Twitter to shine a light into a place not usually seen, the palliative care unit of a Chicago hospital. His mother was dying there and he used the 140 characters of Twitter to document and celebrate and note some of the final moments of her life. She gave her approval for this. And here are some of the tweets he wrote. July 27th. I don't know how we'll get through these next few days, and I don't want them to end. July 28th. I see dawn coming in the sky and want to hold it back to keep my mother from what's ahead. To keep my mother, period. Later in the day, the family joins me today. Maybe they'll help me be strong. My mother showed me how that's done, come to think of it. Later in the day, I'm not sure my mother understands Twitter or why I tell her millions of people are loving her right now, but she says she's very touched. I think she wants me to pass along a couple pieces of advice ASAP. One, Reach out to someone who seems lonely today. Next tweet. And listen to people in their 80s. They have looked across the street at death for a decade. They know what's vital. And next one. Oh, and oh Earth, you're too beautiful to, for anyone to realize you. It goes too quickly. Next one. Just spent 45 minutes looking for my mother's favorite dental floss. Waste of time? No, act of faith. The next day. In the middle of nights like this, my knees shake as if there's an earthquake. I hold my mother's arm for strength, still. Her passing might come at any moment or in an hour or not for a day, Nurses say hearing is the last sense to go, so I sing and joke. A few hours later, I think I can safely reveal now that last night we snuck a dram of grape juice to my mother. Nurses are shocked, shocked. Next one, heart rate dropping, heart dropping. 32 minutes before the end before he finishes tweeting. The heavens over Chicago have opened, and Patricia Lyons Simon Newman has stepped on stage. And the last one. Thank you all for your warm wishes and prayers. Such love drives the world. 
these tweets didn't pretend that something sad wasn't happening. They didn't pretend that everything was just fine. They didn't pretend like these 140 characters had the final word. They acknowledged the pain. They confronted the dark. They wrestled with the mixed emotions of grief. They shone a light into a dark place and began to wrestle with the grief and pain and even the light-filled cracks of joy that shone in that moment. The darkness is real, but Christ does not abandon us in the darkness. Friends, we live in a challenging world. God knows the darkness is real, but the glory is God knows the darkness is real. And in Christ, God is doing something about it. And we, no matter who we are, no matter where we are from, we are being asked to join him. This is the promise of scripture. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy one, you come into the world in ways that shock us, that surprise us, that disturb us. And we admit that we are so often blinded to the good news you are doing right before us. Shine your light again and again. Walk with us, challenge us, and show us how we can join you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.